hello, everybody. Welcome to our Kinexus webinar today. This is, we're calling this Real Continuous Improvement in Virtual Workplaces, the sequel. We had a, a, a good webinar back in June, and we decided to explore the same topics with three different panelists today. Um, maybe, you know, it's always a question, uh, you know, if you're making movies, is the sequel better than the original? I think the sequel today <laughs> will be as good or better than, there's no pressure, anyway. I think this is gonna be a great discussion because we have a wonderful panel. I'm gonna introduce um, briefly and then let um, each of them introduce and, and tell a little bit more about themselves. So we, uh, we have Crystal Y. Davis. She is a certified Lean Six Sigma black belt. She's the founder, CEO, and principal Lean practitioner at The Lean Coach, Inc. And we're also joined by Karen Martin. She's the president of TKMG Group and TKMG Academy. And we're also joined by Mike McGowan. He is a Lean Six Sigma black belt. He's the director of process excellence at Marietta Memorial Hospital. And Mike, um, thank you and, and uh, the folks at Marietta Memorial for being Kinexus customers. So we have um, some consultants and then we've got Mike who's on the inside. And I think we're going to have a really, really interesting mix of perspectives today. With that, I'm going to turn off PowerPoint because this is going to be, uh, I think, a delightfully PowerPoint-free zone, So, um, which is going to be sharing experiences and having some good chat here. Um, so first, we'll just go around um, and do introductions. I'll just do the same order um, I had here originally. Um, Crystal, if you can um, kick things off and, and tell the audience a little bit more about yourself, please. Hello, and thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. I'm Crystal Davis, uh, the Lean Coach Incorporated. And um, I like to say that one of the areas that I focus in in particular is around actually focusing in on leadership development and people development. And uh, I like to say nowadays, I heard this the other day, and I think it's so apropos that we need, need to be focused on not social distancing, but physically distancing. <laughs> and that we really need to make sure that we're doing everything possible to connect. So I'm so delighted to be here, and thank you very much for having me. Of course. Well, thanks. Thanks again, Crystal. And uh, Karen Martin, if you can uh, go ahead and tell us a little more about yourself. Hi, everyone. Um, I've been practicing continuous improvement operations design for about 30 years and found Lean in 2000. Uh, before that had been a Deming advocate and um, have a, a consulting firm and now an academy as well. And uh, five books, um, I call them lean and drag because they're really about lean manufacturing or lean, um, lean enterprise, lean management. But um, I don't use the terms lean a whole lot because I do think that improvement's improvement and excellence is excellence. And um, there are many paths to get there. And um, if you want to check us out, tkmg.com, the Karen Martin Group is the, the acronym. And I'm um, glad to be here. Look forward to talking. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Karen. And uh, Mike, if you can uh, go ahead next. Thank you for thank you for having my book up over your shoulder there. Wait, <laughs> who put that there? Do, do I need to mail you, mail you 20 bucks? Or is <laughs> no, that's not necessary. But yes, thanks for having me. I'm Mike McGowan. I'm the Director of Process Excellence at Memorial Health System in Marietta, Ohio. We're a small um, rural health system. We have two hospitals, three emergency departments, and over 200 providers. And I'm privileged to work with a group of six uh, more STEAM certified black belts that comprise our, our improvement team. 
And we try and solve problems by, you know, by, by leading improvement teams, coaching leaders, and training frontline staff. We're trying, our ultimate goal is to try and change the culture here at Marietta Memorial. All right, thanks. So um, first question is kind of real quick round robin here. Um, first off, how much time are you spending on Zoom each day or other platforms? And then secondly, even though we're going to be talking about workplace improvement, have you used Zoom or similar platforms for anything fun, like happy hours or family time? Uh, Crystal, can I ask you to go first? So Zoom, too much. Uh, Microsoft Teams, too much. <laughs> uh, Slack, too much. <laughs> you name it. It all feels like it's a lot. And it feels like uh, the days are longer. Yeah. But have you been able to do anything fun with these platforms at least? Absolutely. So I've done a couple of happy hours and uh, lean coffees. And then also uh, our family has started to do some family Zooms. Uh, and so we've gotten everyone around the country together and we just talk and see how everybody's doing uh, since we can't travel the way we did before. Yeah. yeah. Um, Karen, how about you? I've been pretty much Zoom, go to webinar and a little teams. Uh, Probably the most is eight hours in a day, um, and that's pretty regular. Mm -hmm. The least is probably two, so every day for sure. Um, it's, it is draining. I think that um, you, you expend different energy when you're looking at a camera, and a little draining, but I have had some fun. I'm actually seeing friends that I haven't seen in years and years and years pretty regularly now, and so I think that's one of the silver linings. It's been really fun to grab a glass of wine and get on and get caught up and, um, and have even groups. I've had a, one group where no one knew each other. They're all my friends and dear friends, but they had never met before. So it was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And Mike, how about you? And, and I, you know, sometimes corporate organizations have different restrictions or mandates on tools. How, how about you? Well, we use teams mm -hmm. um, for the most part. And it's interesting is when we, we started talking about this, I started to reflect, and when when this first started, we used it maybe 20% of the time. But then I think as everyone got more comfortable jumping on Teams meetings, I would say 80% uh, of what we do now is through Teams. It's even kind of replaced walking down the hallway or, mm. or seeing somebody in the cafeteria and going, hey, do you have a minute? Let me, let's discuss our problem. You just jump on a Teams meeting for a few minutes. So I'm accomplishing 70 to 80% of what we do on Teams right now. Mm. And uh, anything fun? Um, we we tried it with my family. I have five kids, and and it was it was a little tricky because not all of us had great Wi-Fi. So we we tried uh, one of the chat or one of the video chat things on our phones, but no, not mostly just texting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just add a little bit. Um, I I use Zoom a lot. Um, Kinexus for our meetings, we, we use Google Meet uh, quite a bit because we do a lot of things on uh, the Google platform. And, um, and, and that's, you know, I think been very effective in, uh, in a lot of ways. I've got a couple of colleagues who I end up talking with fairly often where I, sometimes it's a relief for someone to say, you know, what, can we just do a phone call? Like if it's a one-on-one -on -one meeting, because then I put the earbuds in, I can kind of pace around a little bit. I'm not locked in to my chair. So sometimes that's a relief. And, I, and I've done some fun stuff. Um, uh, some lean consultant kind of weekly coffee talk where Karen 
And, and Crystal, you are part of at least one of those, right? And different people have organized these. And Absolutely. I've got a group of college friends. We were doing it weekly. We kind of scaled back to bi-weekly, um, kind of just a, a Zoom happy hour with, with a group. And uh, some, some of them are people I haven't seen in a long time. Some of them are people I've seen frequently. But it's funny, you, all, you, you, you can fall back into old familiarity pretty quickly. So that's that's one fun thing that's come out of um, all of this. But let's 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 shift uh, maybe and talk about you know real real improvement in virtual workplaces. Mike, let me ask you first. I mean, what have you been able to do in terms of facilitating um, projects or improvement work here during the pandemic era? Era, what's changed? What what are some of the challenges you've had to overcome? Well, when when the when the year started, we started a, a twelve week kind of uh, workout um, around throughput for the hospital. And in, in the middle of March, of course, the world stopped, and all of the all of the continuous improvement work kind of went in the freezer. <clears throat> so we we put that on pause, and the team found a lot of other things to do. And when we're coming back out of the the quarantine, we we've tried to reinvigorate that. But what we find, and I was discussing with the team this morning, what we find is that the other folks really are, they're trying to just get through their day. They're just, you know, nurse leaders are trying to, you know, our COVID numbers are starting to creep back up. Um, I, you know, just heard from my one up that we're going to start our incident command again, because <clears throat> we're starting to start to feel the pinch a little bit. And I think that, um, yeah, for us, it's, we can do a lot of things remotely. We can do it in teams meetings, but it's, our, our, our people that we need to work with are otherwise involved. They're either quarantined from travel or they're, so we're stuck a little bit. We're kind of, kind of in a little bit of a grind here, but we can, we accomplish most of it. We need to through teams and through just virtual meetings. Um, a few times we can get people together in a room. We actually worked on making our frontline training uh, all virtual. So that's something we used to get people in a room and, do some training with an hour's worth of training. It's not going to be all virtual. So we can, for the next year or so, we can have that uh, ready to go. Mm -hmm. um, Karen or Crystal, I'll kind of invite if either of you want to say anything about how things have changed if you're actively coaching uh, people on uh, projects or improvement work right now. What are some of the challenges? What are some of the things you've learned? Crystal, you want to go first? Or? Yeah, absolutely. So, so definitely, um, it's, it's more challenging to to fit to the energy that you get from from being physically together in in kaizens and discussing problems around a conference room. And so one of the things I focused on is trying to bring that same level level of energy. And I've definitely had to heighten or increase my focus in facilitation in making sure I I include everyone that everyone's voice is heard that. Um, you know, I'm checking in because you can't see all everyone's body language. Um, and in some cases, we've I've experienced some team members that just did not want to turn their cameras on. And so, you know, do you really ask them to do that or just kind of let them be? But, um, it, you know, it's definitely challenging. Uh, and I'm sure we'll get to this later, but um, just really finding new tools that help keep people engaged, um, whether it's a virtual whiteboard or things of that nature. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd say the same. Uh, we've only had one client completely pull back during COVID, and it's because it's a healthcare client, and they are a testing center, and they're in the heat of of the of the COVID thing. So it's it's it, everything went on freeze. Um, the facilitation point is a really good point because you know 
if you're looking at the camera, which I think sometimes when you're delivering, you should, you're not able to see all the reaction. And I actually missed something pretty significant with a client, a C-level leader last week that thankfully someone else kind of called it out and I was able to get him to repeat it so I could see it. And it was, it was important to see his, his facial reaction to something that someone had suggested. So you do have to really be on your toes and keep scanning, you know, so it's like, to me, it's going back and forth between the camera and the people, the camera and the people, so that you're able to keep a, you know, a really good pulse on what people are feeling. And definitely to Crystal's point, calling people, like if people are quiet, it's more important when you're on camera to give them a chance because people are sometimes a little afraid to interrupt. And, um, and so you have to call on people and say, do you have anything to add? Or, you know, or if they make a point and people kind of ramrod over it, again, they may not say, well, wait, wait a minute. So you have to just be on your toes as a consult, as a facilitator. Yeah. I mean, I think it, I, what I've seen, it can be awkward where um, you, you almost ask, you rely on people raising their hands or there's a virtual hand raise symbol or something just to make sure, because there, sometimes there's delays and it's um, not as good as being in the same room. But um, along the lines of, you know, maybe being more challenging than being in the same room. We've already had a couple questions come in about virtual process mapping. And Karen, I was gonna ask you to share some of what you've done around virtual value stream mapping. Um, how, how has that gone and, and how is it different than you would have expected or predicted? You know, I was dreading it. I was absolutely dreading it because the way we do value stream mapping, it's a senior leadership team and they are having discovery upon discovery upon discovery upon discovery every minute of value stream mapping. And so it's really important to be able to have good conversations about those discoveries real time and not just keep going forward in mapping. And, um, and so what I, I explored mural and Miro, M-I-R-O and mural, M-U-R-A-L. And decided to actually use the software we use to archive value stream maps, which is iGraphics Flowcharter, as the tool in mapping. And then giving the people mouse control and then having them share their screen. Like It's very interactive as far as my screen, their screen, me mouse, them mouse, you know, and all of those things. And, um, and it's worked out really well. I always had a bias that you should never create a map in software. And I strongly do prefer paper and post-its and people with the wall and all that but can't do that right now. So what do you do? Not improve. Um, so it's gone a lot better than I thought. We do three hour segments, you know, in real life pre COVID, it was, you know, three or four days, uh, full days. We're doing three hour segments. I kind of experimented. That seems to be the sweet spot for most senior leadership teams. And I'm about to start a you know, metric space process mapping, swim lane mapping session with another client. I assume it'll go pretty much the same and I will be mapping directly into the software again, which is ours, our Excel-based software. Yeah, we, we've got a couple comments. Um, uh, my friend Karen, um, who does a lot, Karen Skinner, who does a lot of uh, work with lean and law firms has said that um, one thing they've done is put a camera on the wall and map with stickies as usual. That's interesting to hear about. And they've also used Mural so again, yeah, I, I put in the chat Miro and Mural are those two tools. But um, you know, I think it's interesting to look at combinations of like digital tools versus putting the camera on something. Karen Skinner had another tip that it worked. They found that it works well if you keep the team smaller than usual. It's kind of interesting dynamic. So I, I don't. Oh, oh, go ahead, Karen. 
I, I could see that. I mean, the team that I'm currently doing value stream work with right now is already only eight. And I, when I say only eight, our teams are max 10 and it's hard max. Like that's the one rule we won't let a client break. Um, and it's, and so it's a little smaller than usual and it's hard to get everyone in with eight even. So I could see the value and actually, you know, the best value stream experiences I've ever had facilitating have been teams of six to eight. Mm-hmm. So 10 is a, 10 is a handful. Yeah, and, and getting the right number of people and the right from the right levels and the right rules, there's a whole art and skill to that, right? Yeah. Um so so Crystal, let me um let me turn turn to you for a little bit different question outside of um the mapping. Um is is your kind of you know looking forward, what 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 are your thoughts or you know, or how do how do we find the balance in the in a future state of you know, kind of a you know, remote work versus on-site um, blended models. What you, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. So <clears throat> the uh, it's it's really a challenge, and um, I was sharing actually in a previous talk that some companies are finding uh, that they're having challenges that are completely outside of the work and safety. Not only the safety of people when they talk about blended work and who do we bring back into the workplace. And who do we actually keep remote? I think that it's a it's a matter of identifying the core function that that group department or team um, drives, and whether or not they can truly be effective, not only in completing their own work remote, but then how they might engage with teams, other teams, and other departments or cross functional teams, as well as. Uh, when you you make the decision to bring people back into the office, you have to be cognizant of many dynamics that are going on with people. Uh, I was sharing with a group that I was actually quite surprised uh, um, when um, my client decided to bring the accounting group back in because they are focused in you know getting taxes and so forth and so on. Um, several people became concerned. And their concern was actually around, well, why was the accounting team selected? Are we less valuable or less essential? Does that mean that some of us may be at risk because we weren't selected to come in the office? And then some people, quite frankly, I like to joke, are really looking for an escape from home. (laughs) There's so many, they love their family, they love their kids, but the distractions might be a bit overwhelming. And even if they just wanted to come in a couple of days a week, Mm-hmm. Um, to to be able to balance things out. I think that it's going to be incumbent upon organizations to think about several dynamics, not just the dynamic of work, the dynamic of cross functions, but what people might be experiencing. Um, and then also, I found if some people work better remote and are more productive that way, um, you know, look out for the best thing that's for the for the for the people as well as the employers. Mm-hmm something to that because yeah, I, I think that that it's very common that we do all or nothing thinking and uh, going 180 in the, in, a, in the opposite direction isn't usually very wise so I've been hiring remote people we've been virtual the entire time the company's been in existence for 25 years and so I've been hiring people that work out of their homes the entire time and I've had quite a bit of experiences with people that just didn't like it and they knew it the first week And, you know, I thought I did a great job at explaining what the environment is like and making sure that they are well-suited to be alone at home with or without kids. 
Um, and, and it's been a fascinating journey to figure out what do I do in the interviewing process to get better at, at vetting whether or not they really will be okay being at home or if they rely on the social aspect of an office for their social socialization. And so I think companies need to get really explicit about that and, and, and figure out who thrives at home and who does not. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, let, let me ask a, a follow-up kind of along the theme of when you're, you're coming back into the workplace and, and Mike hospitals, a lot of cases don't have the luxury or the ability to do work at home, but what are some things that you've had to do back in the physical workplace related to um, physical distancing? I'll use your term, Crystal, because I agree that's better. Distancing, masks, other precautions and good practices. Well, I was going to tag on to the to the previous discussion, because one of the struggles that we had is when, you know, but it, it goes, goes hand in hand. The one of the struggles that we had was folks that were working from home is how do you go watch the work? And even in today, today's environment, you know, you, we want to go watch the work, but everybody's garbed up. Everybody's got a PPE. Um, so it is a struggle, but we, we still get to the, to the Gemba as much as we can. And as we go, when we're creating maps, work with people that way. Um, your question was, how, what have we had to change? Just basically, yeah, we, when we do, if we do any kind of trainings, we got to make sure that the room, um, you know, the organization uh, knocked. I think the state said we had to, if, if the 50, we had to 50% of what the fire occupancy was to, to meet social distancing. So we had to look at rooms. We have to look at, you know, how we interact. We have to change some of our hands-on things to make sure that we have some some you know keep people away from each other a little bit so that's about it i mean just the regular wearing masks and social distancing and washing your hands mm -hmm. I, I heard a story um, uh, john dyer who's another um, author and, and consulting from a, a deming and lean background um, you know i haven't gone and done anything on site with organizations but john did and uh, he said they literally he was up in the front of the room they literally put a tape circle on the floor as a bit of a visual indicator of John, if you're inside this circle, you don't have to have a mask. Now I wonder, you know, and, and they did it more than six feet. Cause I think if you're speaking and trying to project your voice, you're also projecting um, droplets, but you know, they had some different rules and ground rules. And, you know, he said they, they set up expectations of, you know, if he lost track of the distance to, to call him on it because it's in everyone's interest. So I think, you know, the new, new setting, new, new rules to try to navigate this, right? There are actually some guidelines. Um, I was just going to say, there are actually some guidelines on like, if you're speaking, what the distance should be from the people that you're speaking. And then if you're interchanging, so like if you are together and you're sharing a whiteboard space, how you can um, spray the air and, you know, they have these, all these particular chemicals, you can spray the air and make sure that that person has a set of markers. So you're not switching off commonly used things. Mm, yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing that I've noticed at a lot of healthcare places now is how they have, you know, the, the dirty pens and the clean pens mm -hmm. at hotels too. I just did mm -hmm. my first travel and the hotels, it was part of the Marriott chain, both of them I was in. So I don't know if it's just Marriott, but they had clean pens and dirty pens and it was super well marked. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I, I really appreciated that. So a um, couple, couple questions come in um, related back to virtual environments. Um, Mike, are you talking about going to Gemba? Has anybody been able to experiment with trying to do any sort of virtual Gemba visits or observation? 
Not really. Mm -hmm. a, a little tiny bit of camera work um, just to go see. It was really more for me to get familiarized with the work than, than it was for the team. Um, but uh, I actually just started asking a lot about those Google glasses and all those other glasses that you can wear where you can supposedly see really well at the Gemba. Um, but no, I, no, not, not right now. One of our attendees, Joanne, um, posted a comment um, that the, the, her organization is doing virtual gamble walks through GoToMeeting. They do a huddle first with over 100 people. It's a big huddle. And then breakout meetings for walks with um, smaller groups. So it's interesting. Oh, that's awesome. Interesting to hear about that. Um, for meetings, um, are, are there, does anybody have ideas of like different icebreaker activities when you have a virtual team? I have one. I actually did this with, with my clients. So we were um, trying to get the teams to talk about how they were, this was early on in the remote work. And we were trying to get them to express how they were, you know, experiencing things differently. Um, and just to open up and try to bring some humor into the situation. So we actually did a GIF challenge and have people find a GIF that GIF or several GIFs that shared, that expressed, you know, uh, how they were feeling about, <laughs> working remote and, you know, things going on with the coronavirus and so forth and so on. And then we actually had a little competition and people got to vote on the best ones. And the winner actually, I think, got like a $25 gift card to, you know, for food or something like that. So, so that was, it was really fun. It got people to loosen up and take some of the heaviness out of the conversation. And, uh, and you can really kind of see where people stand. Um, another, uh, there, there was another follow-up. You had alluded to it earlier, Karen, and you said you wanted to help address. Um, if, if you have people who are camera shy, have you found some ways to try to encourage turning on the camera? Or how do you decide when to let someone be versus? Yeah. Um, so I've never been 100% successful. Let me just say that. Um, when working with clients, it's different than colleagues and stuff like that. And most colleagues are very you know used to the camera um, and, and the team and things like that. But clients... So I just did this workshop. It was a, a two-day, it was supposed to be a two-day in-person workshop. We spread it out over five days in two to three-hour segments. And um, it was 24 mm, director and above, so kind of senior leadership, including vice presidents and one C-level. And half of the people would not turn their cameras on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I started with just hey, I just would love to see you. You know, I'd, I've never met you guys before and I'd love to just be able to see your face. And, you know, this is our version of, of being in the same room together. And I think one person turned their camera on. And then, you know, maybe mm, three or four hours of the total time together, I, I tried it again. Then I asked the client to ask because I thought maybe it was me, you know, and I asked the client to ask and no one did it. So finally, the senior VP that sponsored the whole thing said, you know, we really feel like the discussion we need to have is important for us to be able to see each other's eyeballs. And so please everyone tomorrow morning, be prepared to turn your cameras on. And um, so they had advanced notice to shower up, and, um, but not everyone did. And, and it was really interesting because, you know, some people just refused mm -hmm. and um, that we let it be. Yeah. It also allows people to check out if they want to do something different instead of listening to what you have to say. Right. I mean, that's, I attended a, a, a team meeting yesterday or two days ago and, and I said, okay, camera's on. And they're like, Oh no, I didn't put me. I, I don't care. Camera's on. I want to see, <laughs> let's go. Or I'm not being on, you know, and, and they did. So it worked out well. 
I think that you know preparing people in advance is definitely um, is definitely key to getting them comfortable. And then I think to setting rules for you know like um, if it's okay to be on you know with a baseball cap and you know just your lounge you know t-shirt or whatever for the meeting, or if you actually just need to kind of you know like Mike put on a, a tie or you you need to explain what the rules are for that particular setting. And then I also think that if you can help people know how to use those uh, virtual screens or like myself, put up a screen, because it could just be, they don't have an effective space at home. Mm -hmm. Or they're concerned their kid's gonna run into the screen. Yeah, or having a contractor at your place. I know. Right. Sorry, like, struggling with that today. Oh my God, yes. Um, but this is the reality of working from home. What dogs or sirens or whatever noises um, happen to pop up. I have a firehouse not too far away, so I'm quick to mute myself. Um, I don't know if the fire truck noise even comes through. Um, there was a, a follow-up comment here uh, from uh, from Art. Hi, how are you? It's a friend of mine. Um, Following up on the the, the GIF comment, um, you said sometimes people do games around choosing virtual backgrounds, mm. trying to make a challenge or something fun out of that. So I like that idea uh, as well. So thanks for that, Art. Um, so Mike, I was going to ask you something related to this, and we had a similar question. And and again, um, Karen and Crystal, maybe you can share what you're seeing in other organizations. But um, so Bill asked, you know, his team has had projects put on hold. And they're trying to work on starting up again. And in and, and my own experience in, in coaching some health systems, because the pandemic has been, kind of in, in a way, all-consuming, um, a lot of other work has been put on hold. So I'm, I'm curious, Mike, from your perspective, um, how you've tried to help navigate or manage some of that. It's tough. Um, we, we try to pull. Um, pull always works better than push. Um, and, and a lot of that comes from top leadership, too. If, if the leader's engaged and is saying, hey, we need to do this, uh, people will, will come up. But, you know, I think it's still the, the problem of they're trying to get through their day, um, worried about them and their family, and, and uh, improvement work kind of does go on the back burner. And, and we're kind of starting to feel that. We, we had a rise when we first came out of it in June, and we thought we were really making some headway. And then we kind of are starting to hit a slowdown right now. So we kind of, we, we will need to re-energize it unless we, unless COVID jumps up and knocks us down again. Mm -hmm. and, but and I don't have any, any tips for it other than, other than getting senior leaders involved. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, someone I saw on the, on the question asked, how do you, how do you get between physicians and nurses? You've got to have the why. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's, if, if we're going to improve throughput, and our hospitals filling up. We need to do this work now because if we don't, we'll have people boarding in the ED, and then we know that's a bad outcome, right? So you, you got to hit the why too with them, uh, leadership and, and understanding the why. Yeah. So the other part of the question, uh, if Karen or Crystal, if you have thoughts, um, you know, Bill's asking, how do you find the balance between wanting to go full speed ahead without overwhelming people who either have other things on their plate, or they're just adjusting to getting back into regular work cycles. You know, back to the why that, that Mike mentioned, you know, the, I forget if it was um, Ford or I think it was Ford said something about, you know, interesting how we don't make time to solve problems, but we can keep dealing with them over and over. Do you guys remember who that was? Was it Ford? 
I don't know. But anyway, someone said that and it was really wise. And I remind people of that a lot. And I actually will ask them to do a very quick calculation of the process time, the actual hands-on time it takes to deal with the problem in the current state. And then say, what, what if that went away? And I just think that COVID or not, I think people just tend to have a bias toward not taking the time to make an improvement and just keep dealing with the same things over and over and over. And if you can quantify the difference in spending two days to solve the problem versus dealing with it, you know, 20 times a week over the course of a year, it's, it's, it's quite compelling. So I do the math. I think the only thing that I would add to that is, um, you know, I come from the old manufacturing days and we would never do continuous improvement if in an unstable environment. Mm. So I think you have to revisit, you know, the environment that we're in now. Have we reached a level of stability that can take us back into the improvement mindset? And then, then also to Karen's point, I, you know, I think that we have to be mindful that we are facing new problems. And so it might mean that you have to reprioritize or adjust the projects that you actually work on now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, if my toe hurts, I'm not, I don't want you to, to give me a facial. I want you to fix my toe. <laughs> <laughs> What's the literal pain point? Or- <laughs> exactly. What is my pain point now? And that's where you need help. And that, that actually supports the pull and the why. Mm. All right, so I'm going to give um, all of our panelists just a, a quick break here. Normally, we do announcements at the end of the webinars, but we're going to do um, a little quick, just two minutes of announcements, and then um, we'll have more uh, Q&A. So I want to tell you first, um, you know, we've got a number of webinars um, on the schedule uh, for August. The very next one um, is going to be presented by Simon DeCastro. He's uh, one of our Kinex's customers. He does, he's an improvement leader at Texas Health Resources. Uh, it's going to be on August 11th at 1 o'clock Eastern. Um, he's going to be talking about how to avoid common fit pitfalls in the DMAIC methodology. So it's an opportunity to explore things more on the Six Sigma side of the improvement realm. And, and we uh, haven't really addressed that as much as we talk about lean and the webinar series. So we're really excited that Simon is going to be able to do that. You can register now at kinexus.com slash webinars. And then you can see the other list of webinars coming up um, in, in August. We invite you to register for all of those. Um, I don't have a slide for it, but Crystal is going to be one of the panelists for um, a, a different panel discussion that we're going to be doing on Friday, August 14th. That's um, uh, organized by uh, Deandra Wardell, and we're going to have um, Karen Ross and a number of um, uh, women. There's a group called Women in Lean, and there are other women who are going to be a part of that panel um, talking about some really important issues um, for organizations and beyond. So we invite you also, you can find all of that at kinexus.com webinars. We invite you to check out our uh, webinar on-demand library. Um, you can find that at kinexus.com slash webinars. Uh, we have a blog at blog.kinexus.com. And we also have a podcast series where if you are a subscriber to the podcast, you would have received a couple of days ago the, the little audio preview that we did for today's webinar. And this entire webinar will be published uh, to the podcast feed later today. So you can find us basically anywhere you find podcasts. So 
that's the little intermission. It's kind of like back in the day, I'm old enough to remember going to drive-ins and you would have the ads for the, uh, the concession stand in between the movies. Um, so I guess that was what we did here without cute cartoons or animation. Sorry, that was kind of dry <laughs> what I did. But um, we have a number of questions that come in posing us back to our panel here. Um, any, any thoughts or um, experiences with virtual exercises, either for, uh, for, for training, learning, simulation? A lot of what I've done is based in physical simulations. I haven't figured out, I'm trying to figure out how to adapt. Have, have any of you been able to figure that out or at least experiment with it? Or have thoughts on how you might experiment with it? We're going to, um, as part of our training, we we to, for standard work we would have people fold t-shirts and and um they work through that being virtual um one of my staff came up with the draw the pig uh ask people to draw a pig um freehand and then hand them out the standard work right would they have the standard work we put it up on the we could put it up on the screen and then draw it with the standard work and so hopefully we haven't tried it yet we'll i'll let you know but that will be our, our run at a virtual hands-on uh, demonstration. I did one small one with that workshop group I was just uh, talking about where it's it's when I used to show the power of not task switching, but just focusing on one thing at a time and getting it done and then moving on to the next thing. And it's a time study. So I just had everyone get their smartphones up and get their timer ready. And then I had uh, put up on the screen just a simple sheet for them to just you know handwrite on their own piece of paper what I had written there. And then we did this timed thing. It was only a five minute activity and they loved it. And it, it, you know, broke the monotony of staring at the screen and all of that for a while. Um, I haven't done the actual like lean 101 uh, simulation that we do for quite some time, just hasn't been what the clients are asking for. And so, but I, I think the paper-based one we have that, that illustrates flow and standard work and visuals and all that, I think it would work virtually pretty well, um, but I haven't, I haven't been asked to do it and haven't adapted it. Yeah, I haven't done anything yet. I've actually was talking with some, uh, some other colleagues and one thing, um, you know, I haven't tried it yet, but one thing that they mentioned was reaching out to some people in instructional design for ideas and mm -hmm. about like, you know, keeping people's attention. I know, I think on one of our lean coffees, we talked about how you have to take, um, have to, you have to insert exercises more frequently to keep people engaged. So maybe like every 15, 20 minutes, uh, depending on how long you're going. But um, I, haven't actually, I haven't actually applied a lot other than some of the things we've already talked about, like a virtual whiteboard or jam board for, you know, shared post-it notes and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And um, Miro and Mural are also tools that can be used for virtual boards. Um, I've, I've heard people talking about those tools uh, for that as well. Um, just catching up on a few other comments and things people added here. Um, you were talking about setting expectations for virtual meetings. Uh, Lori from um, Ohio State in the MBOE program. Hi, Lori. Mike, graduate of that program. Um, Lori says they had somebody doing yoga in a Zoom meeting, and they had somebody else smoking a cigar. So it was... <laughs> She says setting expectations is good. Um, 
A couple of people have mentioned a tool that can be used for interactive Q&A and, and can be used for icebreakers, uh, Menti, M-E-N-T-I.com. In fact, we did a webinar. We did a quiz show about um, COVID-19 back in, I think, maybe April. We used Menti for that. It's um, a subscription service, but it's very much like what I call bar trivia. You can set up questions and people buzz in and answer and you get points for how quickly you answer. So tools like that can be used for surveying virtual audiences or trying to do something fun. I think we, we're going to do a virtual lean quiz show coming up. We've already built that and we haven't, we haven't used that yet. Um, Karen, you were talking about the one quote um, Scott McDuffie added, he says, it might not be exactly what you were saying, but John Wooden is famous for saying, the basketball coach, if you don't have time to do it right, when will you have the time to do it over? That's good. Same, <laughs> same sentiment. Perfect. Um, and, and someone else has an idea about um, her, their, their wife's company did a Zoom bingo. Oh, that sounds good. So that's, that's kind mm -hmm. of a, a fun thing to do. And then, um, yes, thank you. Uh, so we've got... Other questions here and another suggestion um, from Pat mindfulness and being present in the moment for a team calls often is also critical. We take the first minute of each call to be in what we call our moment of Zen and to be present, silent and centering for one minute. That's, that, that's, a, that's an interesting idea because it's, especially when we're, when we're doing virtual meetings, we have all kinds of, we have the internet distraction machine at our fingertips and our phones and, things coming in. So, um, uh, you know, a lot of workplaces and, and physical meetings, people say, hey, put the phones away or, you know, we may need to do that more with, uh, with virtual, virtual meetings. Um, we have another question here. Um, Crystal, I'm going to pose this to you first. Do you have thoughts on um, uh, measuring productivity for people in a remote setting? Um, what have you found effective? What do you think is the right way to try to approach that? Yeah, I actually love this question. Um, so for me, I have found that a number of organizations have gotten um, extremely tactical in uh, trying to measure productivity. Uh, some, I've, I've shared these before, but some people have gone to measuring keystrokes and activity on, um, on computers mm -hmm. and giving, issuing daily checklists or asking people to identify what they're going to do at the top of the morning and then checking in at the end of the day to see what they actually accomplished. And when I talked to some of these people, I asked, you know, were these things in place before? And they were like, no. And so there's this overwhelming sense that you need to manage activity. And so mm -hmm. of course, um, some of the things that are important are identifying what matters and what needs to be measured now versus before. And then also, um, to me, this is the perfect time to leverage the huddle process to check in on the, the critical aspects of the day and then allowing people the space to move forward. So maybe at the beginning of the week, check in on what's the objective for the week? What, what are the critical items to focus on for the week? And then there's the daily huddle where you check in to make sure you look in the rearview mirror. I'm speaking to a lean group, so you guys know how that works. But just making sure that in the virtual huddle, you're checking in such that you don't have to, you will see the leading indicators that indicate if something's slipping in terms of productivity. And then as in good management fashion, you address 
that particular issue. But I think that um, I think that the the sense or the 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 sense or feeling to go overboard is taxing not only for the people who need to submit the information, but for the managers who probably never even really look at the data. I have something that's going on right now with a client where they're, you know, very concerned about building capacity for increased demand as time goes on. And so productivity is top of mind of everyone. And what was fascinating is the way they scheduled people. Uh, we did a, a time study and had them do it because we weren't there and uh, did a bit of a time study and they tracked their time for three days. And it was so far off from what the schedule represented. Mm-hmm. And the way the processes are currently designed, there is no way, like no way anyone could perform to the productivity standards they've set. And so now, you know, the first thing is going to be going out and, and getting rid of some of the tasks that they're doing or make, tightening them up and getting them more efficient and everything. But I still think there's a chance that they're going to be left with the need to hire people. I mean, that's always a last resort. You squeeze as much waste out of the process as you can. And, you know, without having quality go down, all that you all know. Um, but it's still amazing to me how many people set productivity targets without understanding the work and what goes into preparing for it, doing it, and then anything that you have to do to wrap. Um, so it's really important to get the facts, get the true current state, and track time for a time-limited period because it's a pain in the butt to do. Um, but you have to, you have to figure out what the truth is and then figure out what you do with productivity. Absolutely. So um, another question, or there's a couple of questions I'll sort of combine here. So, you know, I think the one element is, you know, how has your facilitation style or tactics had to change during this environment? Uh, Tarun adds, do you think um, there are efficiency advantages with virtual? For example, on Zoom, we create breakout rooms that instantly shifts people to focused discussions without having to wait for them to physically go to a room, form groups, settle down. So in a sense, I think we're saving some time now. And he, he wants to hear what your experiences have been. I think absolutely. But I also think it has slowed down a couple of things. So I think it depends on what you're doing. But in team discussions, you know, I don't know whether it's because there's not as much chit chat and I'm not 100% sure that it's bad to not have as much chit chat um, or good. I'm not sure about that. But there's our discussions that like, you know, we converted on site work to virtual work pretty quickly. And the time we had planned to be on site is like double what it actually accomplished virtually to accomplish the work. And so we didn't spend that time, of course, we just got the work done. And in talking with the clients, I said, you know, do you feel like there was a loss because we went so fast? And I didn't see that coming. Mm-hmm. And they were like, no, we don't. We, we all, you know, we checked in a lot and we didn't really feel like there was a loss. And so I actually haven't been able to figure out yet. I need a few more data points why it is that we're going so much faster. Now that said, with the value stream work I've been doing, current state is taking longer virtually. And I think it's because you're not all huddled around a wall with paper posters and you're moving them around quickly and you know, you're having this real-time discussion. I think you just, we lose some of that compacted discussion mm-hmm. that when you're waiting one-on-one for people to say things to a camera, it, you, know, you have to take turns and all that. It's just, I think it's slowing it down. Um, I mean, I don't think I know it's slowing it down because we're now at double what it would have been if we were in person Mm. and we're not done. Yeah. 
I think the only thing I would add to that is, um, I think Karen, you said it, um, it's, it's that people are more focused Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, even when you're in person and, uh, you're in Kaizen, you have people that, you know, might be pulled out of the Kaizen or checking their, their email or, and I think that these, the, the video conferencing is leading people to be more focused and, and, get done what needs to be done and then get off the camera. Because they don't want to be on camera anymore. <laughs> they don't want to be on camera. Well, so maybe a negative motivation, but they're like, okay, let's get it done. Yeah. There, there, there was a related um, question when you go back to the mapping. Um, how do you keep from making attendees wait while you map using virtual process mapping tools? First of all, I'm super fast. I mean, I've been using the software for 15 years now, so I'm very fast and I'm listening and typing at the same time. So, you know, I have to correct sometimes when they change their mind, but I'm, I'm pretty fast. I also pre-set up a template. So going into this one, I assumed we'd have about 15 blocks across, but I wasn't sure. So I set up 15 and we're at 20. So it was a little bit more. Um, I also pre-set up IT systems that are blank at the top. Um, I pre-set up the customer, and if there's a supplier, a supplier on um, the timeline, what NI graphics flowchart is already there. Um, so, and they are doing homework. So that's one thing that I forgot to mention. So, after the the first session was just getting the map down. And by the way, I already knew what some of the blocks were, which I do in person as well. I know what the value stream is before I facilitate the team. Sort of, I know enough to to know what, which questions to ask. Um, and so we, we uh, got all that up front and then they had homework to go and attach the blocks to the IT systems by hand and then scan it and send it back to me. And I have a guy that does all the mapping work. And so, you know, we, we connected them and then sent it back to them for QC and they corrected some things. And now the, I'm just, just this morning, sent it to them again. And now they're going to um, take chunks of lead time and then break it into the individual blocks so that we can see where the lead time is getting hung up. So we did the chunks together, but they're going to do the individual blocks by themselves. And they're physically in the office, by the way. Um, it's, in another, it's in another country, and they're physically able to get together and, and do some homework. Mm-hmm. So the homework part makes it go a little bit faster. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to add, you know, one client I was working with, we didn't have access or didn't go get access to some of these other tools. So the one thing we did have access to to do some virtual mapping was Google Sheets, which is the, or no, uh, what's the PowerPoint? Slides. Slides, sorry. Google Slides. And that actually, so we we kind of pre-staged some blocks that we could copy and paste and then move. And the beauty of doing um, Google Slides is that instead of waiting, we could have people really real-time moving, editing, drawing, rearranging, um, that, that worked really well. There were some downsides to it where limitations to the screen size that it, it seems like Miro and Mural um, help address instead of not being limited to a certain screen slide size boundary. Maybe I need to set up a bigger slide. Would be, Mark, uh, we, yeah. we haven't, Mark, we haven't done it virtually, but <clears throat> when we do it live, we try to have another one of our, our team members go with us so I could, if I'm leading the team, I can be facilitating and they're creating the map as we go. I can be putting it up on in, in you know, with uh, post-it notes, but they're they're creating it um, electronically at the same time. So we kind of got them both going at the same time. We haven't tried it virtual yet, but that's probably how we would do it. Yeah. 
Well, and I think I'll do it differently though with the next client than I did with this one in terms of mouse control. So I, my, my thought going in was I would maintain mouse control for like the first five or six blocks so they could get a, an idea of what level granularity we're talking about and then give them mouse control to continue. But what happened, this happens to be new product development all the way through to smooth production. So it's a big value stream. And the new product development, if any of you have ever done that, it is super hard because it's, there's so much variation, even with one tiny product line, there's so much variation up front. So they have to pick, you know, they have to pick a, a sequence to work with. And what happened was they were able to drag and drop pretty quickly, but it was slowing us down. And so I, I said, hey, do you guys mind? You guys tell me what you see as the sequencing problems. Let me, let me drive for right now. And I took it and then, because I'm just faster at it. And yeah. they like, thank God, <laughs> so yeah. One other maybe possible countermeasure, um, if someone who's facilitating is not as good with the software, um, Holly, one of the attendees, suggests um, partnering, having one facilitator and one scribe. And I think sometimes in a physical environment, that yeah. can be helpful as well. Um, but there are a couple of questions about other virtual practices beyond virtual mapping. And Mike, I was going to ask you to share, when you had the Incident Command Center, um, you, you had some uh, virtual... I don't know, did you call it a virtual huddle board or a virtual dashboard? You it was our it was our COVID response dashboard that we created so that we put what we thought were the important statistics for the organizations. You know how many patients we had and how many people were sick that day, what our PPE looked like, so that the leadership team could go in daily or whenever they wanted to and look at that board and see. We updated it daily. Uh, we still have parts of it. We took a lot of it. We dismantled some of it when we came out of quarantine. Uh, we are probably going to start to build it back next week. It sounds like as we as we start to approach another peak. Yeah, but we had, we had it in this this product called Kinexus. Yeah, it worked mm -hmm. out really really well. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I was going to also give you uh, you know you you showed me a little bit about what you were doing, um, how you used um, the the Kinexus control chart functionality or you know AKA process behavior charts. Can yes. you talk about that a little bit, like with the employees sick out? Well, we, we thought one of the indicators, the leading indicator of when we might be getting in trouble was if we started having a lot of staff going out uh, sick. And so we looked at a daily call-off list uh, HR provided for us to like, at like 7 a.m. every day. And we would, we would just charted that, but we never really found any signals. So it was, we, again, we, we haven't, knock on wood, we haven't been hit hard yet, but it was still one of those... Uh, indicators when we went what what could tell us ahead of time that we may be running into some into some rough waters and we came up with uh how many people are sick today so we use that in a process behavior chart never, never found any signals which was good and uh, we still have it so we can bring it back up and and did that chart did that control chart format help dampen or tamp down some of the overreaction. Yeah. The number's up from yesterday. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it was like, we came in on a Monday and the number went to 50 and it went up, went up 40 from yesterday because yesterday was a Sunday and not everybody works at the hospital. You know, it's a, it's a skeleton crew on the weekends. So yeah, we were, I was able to go, no, it's still, it's still within the, within the, the noise. It's not a signal yet. It was, it was up, but it wasn't. And then it came back right down the next day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no one has asked yet about problem solving and coaching, but we've been doing that virtually since long before COVID. So for the improvement teams that are trying to figure out how to do this, that might be a place to start because you can use an A3 report as it was originally intended to be used as a coaching tool 
and have people submit that in advance. And then, you know, you know, get your mind kind of wrapped around what you see uh, in terms of where they are and then figure out if they're stuck and ask the right questions to, you know, make sure that you're right on where you're thinking they're stuck and then offer, you know, ways with them in discussion to get unstuck and things like that. So it's, it, you know, you don't have to just map virtually. You definitely can do a lot of problem solving coaching virtually. It works really well. And Karen, you've also done some lean management system development and rollout virtually. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I, I so wish it was in person, but um, we are doing it virtually. And so this client wanted to adopt certain practices. So strategy deployment, daily management systems. Um, they did not have standard work on their list until I looked at their standard work and said, that needs to be on that list. Um, and then... Um, KPI development, which is part of strategy deployment and daily management systems, and then problem solving. So we have different pods and pilots going on throughout. It's a pretty small organization, actually. So we're trying really hard not to step over each other and not you know, get them all working on you know, too much at once. Um, it's going well. It's going really well. But I wish I was there. You know, I just, I, there's just something about being physically with people as they're learning that, that you don't get virtually. So... And Karen, if I might add, I don't know if you if you found this successful, but when you when you are doing that because you're not physically there, so micro coaching has been effective. One thing I've been I've found effective, just smaller segments of coaching, whether it's ten or fifteen minutes, um, so that they can stay connected with that new activity, that new behavior that you're trying to drive. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, like that. I'm going to talk with you offline about that. Good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, the hour has um, almost gotten away from us here. A um, couple of comments people had posted. Um, thank you. Very uh, value-added discussion. Great webinar. Great panel. Um, so just want to pass along a couple of those thank yous that were in the chat. And um, at the end of the webinar or when you leave, there will be uh, a survey. We ask you to, to please um, fill that out. Give us feedback and give us ideas about topics that you might want us to address in future webinars. But maybe we'll, we'll, we'll just kind of go around round robin one last time. Um, is is there any I mean, um, any kind of you know surprising learning about virtual work or our new ways of operating? Any any surprising learning that you might want to share with the audience as we wrap up? Crystal, it looks like you you came up with you came up with something. Yes, you know, I, I, um, it's very interesting that people think that they should relate better or differently in a virtual environment when they didn't do, do so well physically together. And, um, you know, I've been telling people you can't um, manufacture what wasn't there before. So if you struggle with relating, if you struggle with connecting, if you didn't have trust within a team, uh, it's amplified virtually. And so you have to be more mindful of those things and those dynamics when you're trying to get work done and be productive and stay focused. And I think, you know, it's incumbent upon teams and managers to think about um, how they can start to bridge that gap, given that we're all experiencing something common, which is rare. Right? These are rare times, but we're all experiencing something common that we can actually find and relate with, whether it's. You know, perhaps maybe I don't have children, but maybe I could relate if Mike had children and he was working from home. That's something that we can relate 
to where as we may not have found common ground in in the workplace before mm-hmm. and build and establish trust so that's that's been one of the things that I've found to be very interesting is how people have this expectation that uh, things would be different virtually. Mm. I have one. I, okay. I really think that people behave differently on camera than they do in person. And I think you really have to pay attention to that. Um, I, when you're on camera, I, I don't think ever, anyone fully relaxes as they do on day three in a conference room for three days in a row. Um, I, I just don't think people, unless they're off camera, then they, then they can relax. But if they're, if their eyeballs on the camera, um, there's a bit, and I don't want to sound negative about this, but I do believe psychologically there's a bit of acting that goes on. Um, I, I just don't think that we relax into our, who we really are when we're on camera. And so I think as a facilitator, you have to just kind of always be re, like scanning for more signs of what's really going on that you, you can't, you know, can't see um, and draw out. That, that was, that's one thing that I've been like, wow, that camera changes dynamics so much. Yeah. And Mike, anything that was kind of a surprising lesson or a lesson from your first go around with the incident command center that you might now apply to this, you know, unfortunately what seems like the second wave that's coming. You know, I, I think that, I think that for, for us, we found that meetings are going faster, that we're getting things done more efficiently. But I, I like the point you guys made about the body languages. We're going to have to, there's going to be a new normal. We all know it. We're going to have to change how we do things. And you're right. The third day in the conference room, you're, you're still, you know, my back hurts sitting here being on camera. Right. So you're, you are a different person. We're going to have to understand what those, what those nuances are as we move forward. All right. Well, um, thanks, everybody. I'm going to real quickly, I'm going to pull up the Kinexus webinars web page. Here we go. Because we have, um, again, we have three webinars coming up in August. So like I mentioned already, August 11th, Simon DeCastro, How to Avoid Common Pitfalls in the Demaic Methodology. August 14th, like I mentioned earlier, um, Crystal is going to be one of the panelists in a session um, that uh, DeAndre Wardell is really um, the leader of. I'm going to help facilitate, but the the title she's come up with here is Sharing Our Visions and Voices to Root Cause Racism. Um, So really um, important, complicated, um, but, you know, issue that we'll discuss through that panel. And actually a series starting August 8th. Um, on, on my blog, leanblog.org. Um, Deandra is, um, I'm, I'm handing over the blog to her for the week, and she's coordinating um, other um, authors, uh, including uh, the panelists. So I'm looking forward to learning um, from, from all of their perspectives. And then on August 19th, uh, more of a uh, presentation-style webinar, um, John Toussaint and Kim Barnes from Catalysis are going to be presenting. They have a new book coming out. Um, they're going to be talking about becoming the change, leadership behavior strategies for continuous improvement in healthcare. And for those of you who are not working in healthcare, I would still recommend and suggest please do tune in in, in any way because I think these are leadership behavior strategies for any for any setting. So again, you can find those and you can register for all of those at kinexus.com slash webinars. Um, Crystal, since you're participating August 14th, is there anything else that you would like to add? about the topic or your hopes for the panel? 
Um, the only thing I would add is that um, I think that, you know, for anyone who might have cringed at the, at the topic, it's, it's, um, it's definitely a safe, going to be a safe environment for us to, to listen, to just be, um, be present, and to um, learn how we all can, can make a difference in eradicating racism. That's great. Thank you for sharing that, Crystal. And uh, thank you in advance for it would be good to have you back two months in a row. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to really uh, want to thank everybody who attended. And again, thank our panelists, um, Karen Martin, Crystal Davis, Mike McGowan. It's been a lot of fun. And um, yeah, maybe we'll do a third panel. We're still probably going to be doing virtual work in September or beyond. <laughs> Um, so if anyone um, in attendance, Kinexus customer or otherwise, feel free to reach out, uh, mark at kinexus.com if you want to um, maybe participate in a future panel about real improvement in vir virtual workplaces. So um, again, thanks everyone. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.